Before we dive into today's incredible episode, I wanted to let you know that on February 26th, you can try Writer Workout for free. Writer Workout is my women's writing community. We meet every Monday at noon central on Zoom where I give prompts and craft talks and then we write together. And the members have a plethora of other perks too. They have access to an entire replay library, discounts. They're the first to hear about all my classes and retreats. But if you've been curious about Writer Workout and you want to try it out for free first, you can join us on February 26th. I'll put the link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. So when you stop drinking and you build up those muscles of being able to say no to a substance that's not good for you, you can say no to a lot of things that aren't good for you or maybe don't exactly match with your morals and values or aren't matched with your goals. This is Heart of the Story, and I'm Nadine Kenny Johnstone. I'm an author and holistic writing coach who talks with today's top women writers about how to navigate life when things don't go according to plan. These impactful conversations and personal reflections invite you to be seen, feel supported, and ultimately fall back in love with yourself. So let's go together to that honest, powerful place the heart of the story. Hi, friends. I know that the beginning of every year brings about this new year, new you resolutions-based mindset, which doesn't work for most people. And in fact, most people quit after just a couple of weeks in January. However, I am in support of any self-inquiry that helps us assess our habits, our behaviors, our routines, our vices, and decide intentionally what we want to stop, lessen, continue, or what new things we want to add to our daily lives. And that's why I loved this conversation with Maria Warner. Maria is a mama of grown children, an athlete, an adventure seeker. She's also a writer. She wrote a book called Family Camp, which is about how attending this family camp every summer really installed some good core deep values for her and her family. And she, last year, took on a personal challenge to be sober for one month. And it led to a whole slew of life-changing habits and experiences. And that's what we talk about today. Whether or not you are sober curious, this conversation will still resonate because it's at its core thought-provoking to get us to really think about our ingrained robotic habits that we're doing without really even thinking about them anymore and to really start thinking about what we want to do intentionally moving forward. I loved this conversation with Maria Warner and I know that you will too. Today we are talking about a really important topic which is sobriety And even more specifically, how writing aids in the sobriety process 
and how being sober can aid in your writing process. But truly, this is a conversation for everyone, writers and non-writers alike. Um, anyone who might be curious, sober curious, I think this will be a really, really helpful episode, especially because so often we find that at the start of the year, a lot of people try to do a dry January. And even if this isn't something that you've attempted you might have thought at one point or another about reducing vices or eliminating vices. And so I couldn't think of a better person to have on the show than Maria Warner, who is not only a writer, but has also gone down her own sober path as of late. And she is here to talk with us about sobriety and writing and everything in between. Welcome, Maria. Thank you, Nadine. I am just thrilled to speak with you today and so passionate about these two topics and how they combine in my life and how I believe they can combine and improve anybody's anybody's world and wellness. Hmm. Yes, yes, yes. So why don't you describe yourself a little to the listeners? Where are you in the world and, and what are some of the things that make you you? <laughs> That's a great question. Who doesn't love talking about themselves? <laughs> I am married 34 years and I have three grown adult children. I am a former people pleaser, which will play into how this sobriety journey has just benefited me so much. I'm an avid athlete, writer. I like to be creative. If I had to just narrow it down really quickly and succinctly, I would say I try and adhere to the YMCA motto of being in balance, mind, body, and spirit, and hit on all three of those every day. And if I do those, then I feel very accomplished. And you also have a book out in the world. You could say a couple of things about this. I do. When I became an empty nester, I was kind of looking for something to do. And the idea of capturing my family's memories came to me. And we used to go to a family camp every summer. And it was a great community for us because we had suffered some loss after 9-11. And we were kind of floundering. And that became a beautiful community for us where we got away from junk values and the rat race. And we could reconnect with ourselves and nature and it was a beautiful journey, not only for me, but for my family to recapture all of those moments together and to relive them. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. So we are kindred spirits, you and I. We like adventure. We like exercise. We like to move our bodies. We love writing. And this sobriety journey is something that's a little bit more recent in your life. And I'm wondering if you could take us through kind of how this came to be, any moments of recognition that you wanted to make some changes. Yes, I was lost and I was stuck and I didn't know what to do. My world had changed so many ways. As I mentioned, I had become an empty nester. We had moved. I was laid off from work, so I lost my work community. So I really was just floundering. 
And of course, it's all happened um, right around COVID. And I feel like a lot of us were probably just drinking so much. Every day at five, my husband and I would say, all right, who's, who's picking the bottle of wine tonight? And we would just start drinking. So it became time for me to recognize I needed some clarity. How was I going to find that clarity if I was drinking every night and not really dealing with things? And I was just kind of numbing all of that discomfort that comes with change. So I really just came across some programs on Instagram, which is great for feeding you things that you're looking at. (laughs) So I started looking at some things like um, non-alcoholic drinks and beers and ciders. And then I started being fed some programs. And I thought, I need to try this for 30 days and and then just see what happens. Mm -hmm. And when you did, when you attempted it, first of all, what were some of the challenges you faced, the things you missed, but then what were some of the benefits that you were seeing? So it's very challenging to take that first step when it has become your habit to open up a bottle of wine every day. And even the first day, I can just see this so clearly. I said, this is going to be my day one. I'm going to start. I'm going to follow this program. I'm going to journal and write about why I want to drink and try and capture those emotions. And my brother sent me a picture of him on his deck with a glass of rosé. Oh, and no. I was, I just, want, I was like, I have rosé. I have rosé in the refrigerator. I'm going to go get a glass. And I'm going to take a picture and I'm going to send it to him of me enjoying my glass. And I just had a moment of what am I thinking? I can't even do this for one day. I have to do this for one day. So that was an initial challenge. And my confidence built because I thought I finally said, no, I'm I'm going to take a day because really, when was the last time I ever took a day off drinking? It had been years, whether I was sick or pregnant, it had just been years that I hadn't had one day of no drinking. So one day started and just continued into another and another. And as I worked through the alcohol experiment that I was doing, it became clear to me the benefits and that I just didn't want to return to that. Mm -hmm. I think what's so hard is the pattern interrupt, the habit interrupt, but then also like the social and connection part of it. That's like, we want to connect with other people. We want to have this treat with our partner, our friends. We want to have time where we're not thinking, worrying, you know, and so how was it since you're in a partnership, how was it for your husband during this? It was great for us. Hmm. Um, My husband recognized that this was important to me because I was so passionate about the changes and I spoke about it every day. So every day I was learning something new. And I was like, Mom, guess what I learned today? And so he could feed on that passion with me. And I had so many physical improvements so quickly. I lost all my stomach aches. So I used to get stomach aches and they just disappeared. So he could see that physically and mentally I was becoming a better person. I was becoming healthier. So he did it with me. He stopped drinking along with me and I wasn't his drinking buddy anymore. So we together went through that 30-day time period. He has returned to a little bit of drinking now, 
but not nearly the way that we were before when we were opening a bottle, you know, cracking one open every day. Mm-hmm. So just very supportive. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I love talking about this subject because personally, I've had so many loved ones that I've seen benefit from either doing like a dry January, doing what my friend and I call like a damp month where it's not totally dry, but it's not the the amount of drinking one used to do. People who have gone through AA and are in recovery and are so much happier and clearer than they ever have been before. And my own personal journey with vices is that in college, I drank my behind off. I mean, so much drinking, so, so much drinking that of course, when you're in college in the sorority and frat scene and all of the partying that goes along with it, it becomes very normalized. And so once I got out of college, had a full-time job and was going to grad school, it was like, you can't function if you're doing what you're doing before. And so it slowly started declining and then certainly has declined so much more since, especially when I got married and had our son. And there would be months where I wouldn't touch alcohol at all. And nowadays uh, I'm more of like a two or three times a month have a glass of wine kind of person. And I remember I went to a party a few years ago where everybody was drinking and I had like a couple sips of wine and then put my glass down. And I ran into a person who hadn't seen me since college. And she was like, I'm surprised you're not throwing them back, you know? (laughs) And that version of me had become so far removed. I couldn't even imagine. I mean, I get a headache if I drink more than one glass of wine, you know, like a glass and a half is too much. And so it's really gotten me thinking, like I'm very sober curious and it makes me so delighted to speak to someone like you who was able to take kind of an ingrained habit and really, really make a change. So I want to talk a little bit about the things that have helped you, especially early on, we're hitting moments of urge or everybody else is drinking and it seems enticing or there's that social gathering. And what are the things that that helped you? So one of the biggest things was journaling every day to just hit on those triggers. So what is that trigger? If you see someone drinking and you always drink with them, why? Why do you want to drink with them and really dig into that? Do you think you're not going to be fun anymore? Do you think they won't like you? Will you you know, be not be invited anymore? <laughs> so I had to tackle all of those thoughts. And a lot of that is the emotions around that. So just writing about that daily and reviewing what is it that I'm feeling about drinking? Can I substitute something else? And I even wrote like my visualizations and my plan for the night, simple phrases that I could say, and then I would practice them in front of the mirror. So things that I wanted to say, maybe even a list of things that I wanted to do in the morning so that I had an excuse of, oh no, I have to wake up early tomorrow. So just journaling and writing lists 
became a big factor in in my everyday review of of really the type of person that I wanted to be. Mm. Let's break it down a little bit, especially for people who are maybe feeling inspired and want to start exploring this. So when you are writing down your triggers and realizing what it is that might be tempting one to have a drink, once you write it down, then what, what do you do with that information? Like, oh, I notice I'm really wanting to numb out or I'm really nervous. I won't be like the life of the party. Then what do you do with that to help you not act, I guess? Yes. And that's the difficult part because <laughs> now you have the knowledge. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now I know, and I can't just numb it. So if it's a difficult conversation that I'm trying to avoid or sitting in discomfort with a child who's bringing something to me that I can't help them with, instead of reaching for that glass, you have to actually deal with the situation. So if I'm awkward and I feel like I need a beer to calm down, why don't I practice not being so awkward? (laughs) Why don't I come up with something interesting to say or a question to ask them so I get off the hot seat? So it's really hard because, you know, we are so set in our ways and I had to go through all of that. I had to do the work to figure out not just why I wanted to drink, but then how do I solve that problem? Mm. And when you would do these visualizations or kind of making a plan, what would that look like? Can we see some examples? Yeah. So one example is I would just say, um, you know, that I want to be my healthiest person possible and drinking isn't working for me. So I'm not drinking tonight. And I would also say, I'm never going to say never because I might go to a wedding and want to toast the bride and groom with a glass of champagne. But tonight, you know, I'm not going to. So I would work on a shorter, shorter phrase in those. Those were two combined into one, but just something really quick. And once I felt confident saying it in front of the mirror, then I would just go out and and do it in public. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thinking about what to say in that moment of when one is being offered or this kind of questioning, like, oh, how come you're not having anything? And how did other people respond, especially those who might have been used to you socially drinking? Yeah, most people, I, I find most people really don't care. They want to support you. If they don't want to support you, then that even gives you more reason to go back to your journal and, you know, question, is this a good friendship for me? Because, you know, shouldn't they be supportive? So you do have friends that are really super supportive and you, you recognize that a lot of times it makes people question their own drinking. So it becomes about them and it, and that's another way to get off the hot seat because then they want to explain to you you know, why they drink or how much they drink. So it turns the conversation away from you. And then your Diet Coke or water, whatever you're drinking, isn't so obvious. Yes. So let's talk a little bit more about the way that writing kind of helped in the process. So you said you would journal daily. Tell us a little bit more about anything else that would go in the journal or other ways that the writing process in general kind of helped along the way. 
Yeah, so something funny happens on the way to being immersed in work and exercise and raising kids and trying to be a people pleaser is you forget who you are. Yeah. And you move away from that. And so writing and journaling, and I want to mention two journals that helped me tremendously was the sobriety journal and then your journal, because it helped me really remember what are my values? Who am I? And how do I want to be in this? I call it, it's actually Jane Fonda's term, the third act of life. How Mm -hmm. do I want to be in this third act of life? So sitting down with those two journals. And I actually worked through yours twice because I found it so beneficial. Mm. And along with the clarity that comes from journaling, things changed. So when I came back to your journal and did it again, I even uncovered more. So now you're not numbing all of these things that you just don't either have the time or emotional bandwidth to deal with. Now you're actually dealing with them and you're remembering. It's almost like remembering who I was. So that's how important journaling was. It it just really was important to me. Let's talk about this because you mentioned some really, really big transitions that hit all at once. It's like it's COVID, empty nesting, no longer having a job, moving all at once. (laughs) So that's like a quadruple whammy going on and many people can relate to the multiple things that hit at once during covid what was kind of the low low for you what was the deep pain that was coming up as a result of those things so really it was it was being stuck feeling like what is my meaning and purpose I had even checked off two items on my bucket list that you had mentioned my book that I wanted to publish. And then also I had this dream of always completing a half Ironman. And so I had completed that too. So it was this huge feeling of like not belonging. I have no reason to wake up in the morning. What am I doing all day? I didn't have new goals. I was really lost and stuck in this feeling of like, what is the point? Like, And it was yeah. e- so easy to just, you know, have the drinking at night, not have to wake up in the morning and be responsible for anything. So I didn't have to worry about how much I drank. There were times when I wouldn't have had anything to drink and I would get out of bed and go get a drink. I would be ready to fall asleep and think I need, I'm going to go get a drink. I haven't had a drink. Or I'd walk by the refrigerator, the beer refrigerator at noon. And I think, hmm, is it too early to start drinking? (laughs) So (laughs) it was just that recognition that this is really not a healthy way to go through the rest of my life. This is not going to be good for anyone. And I was looking for that clarity. How was I ever going to find clarity if I was all you know, messed up from, from drinking every day. Mm. I'm so grateful that you shared that because someone I love deeply also expressed this idea of like having been a mostly straight arrow their whole life. And then the empty nest just created this like situation of not having to wake up 
early in the morning to get the kids out and like it created like this stew of of addiction essentially where it's like it's a prime time for addiction because you don't have to present to anyone as much anymore and so people aren't watching as closely and you don't have to be as hyper responsible and so it just is this kind of hellscape for addictions to thrive in and add to that this feeling of like what is my purpose now i think regardless of anyone's current situation we all at one point or another have hit that spot of like what am i doing this existential crisis of what am i here for what am i supposed to be doing who am i who am i also that after the kids are out of the house after you've worked an important job for years and you've left a community it's like who am i if i'm not these roles anymore so talk us through that journey not just with sobriety but like the self discovery that came up for you now one of the other ways that i journaled and did some work was a self-compassion workbook and practicing self-compassion every day helped me recognize that i didn't have to have big athletic events or achievements to validate myself that I could validate myself and I got to design and create my life and meaning and purpose. And the best part was I got to do it without leaning on alcohol to numb all that discomfort. I got to wake up and say, okay, who doesn't really want to be? What do I want to accomplish? And writing became very important to me in that I wanted to keep creating and be able to concentrate and focus more time and be clear-headed around my writing. So I would say that the self-compassion was a huge part of that. And I'll just quote something that I read. I, I wish I could remember where it was from, but basically being addicted to a substance is not my fault. Alcohol is addictive. I got addicted to an addictive substance. However, it's my responsibility to fix that issue and problem. So that's what I've been doing for the last year and a half is working on and fixing that. So perfect timing that you just quoted that because Glennon Doyle on We Can Do Hard Things just had the author of We Are the Luckiest on the show, which is a memoir about sobriety. And she has these nine kind of rules to live by or um, nine different taglines that she put out. and. Two of them are those like, yes, it's not your fault that you got addicted to an addictive substance that was made to addict you, but it is your responsibility. At first, you're, it's this relief like, okay, I'm not a bad person. It was made to be addictive, but oh crap, now I've got to deal with it. <laughs> you know, it's like, ah, oh, shoot, I still have to answer though to myself and my loved ones. Um, so as you've been on a year plus journey of this, how has that looked of facing that? What have you discovered about yourself? And also, you know, who are you discovering is Maria, regardless of these roles that you've played in your life? Yeah, that's a great question. So I recognize that 
along the way, I had become a people pleaser just to keep everything moving and all the balls in the air. It was just easier Mm. and had forgot about some boundaries. So when you start taking better care of yourself, not drinking, journaling, attending the classes that you sign up for, (laughs) um, self-compassion, you know, just showing up for yourself. Then you recognize I am important and there's no reason why I can't set those boundaries to let everybody else know that this is important. Did that answer your question? Mm -hmm. Okay. It's discovering the people-pleasing tendencies that probably we all have grown accustomed to, many of us have grown accustomed to, and tending to ourselves instead. And I remember you sent me the sweetest email when you got my journal because the dedication says to all the women who've desperately been missing themselves, welcome home. And you said that that hit you, touched you. Why Why do you think it did? I guess I probably didn't have a home and I had to make myself my home. I had moved. I lost my work home. I lost my family. My family had moved away. I lost my neighborhood. <laughs> so really, I didn't have a home or a, or a place to be that I felt comfortable. And I was just drinking to numb that, you know, where do I belong? I really, really was, was lost in your journal. Helped me answer all of those questions. I am so glad that you reached out to say that it touched you because when I was going through the loss of so many roles in my life, who am I if I'm not a Chicagoan? Who am I if I'm not a professor? Who am I after my father passed if I'm not a father's daughter anymore? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? And I thought to myself over those years as I was going through this excruciating ripping off of all these roles, I thought I can't be the only person who feels homeless in spirit, who feels like if I don't have these physical homes, then where do I belong? And if I don't have these roles anymore, then then who am I? And I thought other people have to be feeling this way too. So it was actually comfort in hearing back from readers to know that I wasn't alone in the process. And one of the biggest spiritual journeys has been making a home inside myself, which is why the book is called Come Home to Your Heart. How have you made home inside yourself? What does that look like, like abstractly and tangibly? What does that look like for you? Well, my first thought is I'm still working on it. Oh, yeah. And we've yeah. all forever will be, by the way. <laughs> yeah. But I think the biggest takeaway I have is to really listen to my gut and my heart. Uh, you mentioned two questions that you and your husband ask each other every morning. What's on my mind and what's in my heart? And I do that. So I know and I don't get distracted because you know how life can be. You, you can say yes to so many things and it goes back to that people pleasing. So I would say the biggest things are 
being clear and focused and listening to my gut and my heart and knowing what's on my mind and writing helps with all of that. I know. I know. Oftentimes I don't know how I'm feeling until I have those check-ins with my husband where we say what's on your head, what's on your heart, but also the journal it is the holder, the vessel of like, oh, that is how I'm feeling. Sometimes I don't even know until I write it. And it is the most honest place. I'm more honest with my journal than I am with anyone anywhere. Even sometimes my own self, like I'll write something and I'll go, ooh. <laughs> Um, I might have to burn that page or shred that page. Which um, I've done. <laughs> I, I burned some things. <laughs> yep. So, so conversely, you uh, mentioned to me that sobriety has helped your actual writing process. So say a little bit more about that. So imagine if a big portion of your day is thinking about when you can start drinking and then drinking and then the repercussions of drinking, whether it's headache, stomach ache, whatever that is for you. And now that's all gone. So now when you wake up, you don't have to run for the aspirin or Advil. You can actually think, oh, what were my dreams about in that in-between state? And is there anything there that I want to capture? And you have more snippets in the day that you're more aware and you want to remember those and you, you know, jot them down and make lists. And instead of thinking about when can I get to my glass of wine in the evening, I'd now think, oh, when can I get down, you know, to sit down and do some more writing? So that is the biggest win as far as just opening up time and space and then feeling well and being physically present to go ahead and be honest and authentic on the paper and not to be so perfect, not to try and be this perfect person who does this perfect writing and everything's fleshed out. You can just be real with it. Mm -hmm. When that episode that I mentioned where Glennon Doyle is talking to the author of We Are the Luckiest, they talked about their moments of dignity. And what they meant by that was like, Glennon was saying that when she was in deep addiction, drinking, doing cocaine and things in college, she would be hung over as hell and she would hear her roommate putting lotion on her body and she would glennon would be thinking like what kind of person is so put together and in tune with themselves that they even are aware of the amount of moisture that their body needs you know she's like i can't eat i don't know where i am what happened last night where my car is she said and um here this woman's worried about her skin hydration, you know? So she says now every morning when she puts lotion on her body, it's like this beautiful reverent moment of dignity for herself. And her wife, Abby was laughing. She's like, you do put on a ridiculous amount of lotion. That's great. You know? And so it's like, um, Abby, oh, I have to remember what she was saying about hers. I mean, but one of the, some of the bigger ones was just not waking up with regret, waking up and feeling grateful for the things around because we don't have to be worrying and doing damage control or self-shaming 
So for you, what has like self-dignity looked like for you or any moments where you're aware of a change between the actions and behaviors you used to have and then now? So when you stop drinking and you build up those muscles of being able to say no to a substance that's not good for you, you can say no to a lot of things that aren't good for you or maybe don't exactly match with your morals and values or aren't matched with your goals. And so a lot of things just are removed from your life because no, I'm not going to go to happy hour. I have a date with myself to write for an hour. So it's really that self-confidence and goes beyond that, just the writing. It, go, it goes to, I now I have the self-confidence that this piece is polished or no, this piece isn't polished. This piece is ready to go out and be submitted to be published. Whereas before I would have tucked it away and kept thinking about it and thinking about it and trying to be that perfect person. Mm. And now through the not drinking, the work to be more self-compassionate and building my confidence every day, I can say, no, this message is here in this piece. This is good enough. It's ready to go out. Mm, Yeah. Shushing a bit that perfectionist critic that we all live with. And so as we wrap up, what does life look like these days? You know, not that sobriety fixes everything, but how do you deal with the empty nest with living in a new area, neighborhood, sense of purpose? Like what do those things look like now? And what are you in the midst of? So I still overcommit. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm still working on that, but I am hyper-focused on having really good relationships with my kids and my husband Mm. and being open with them about conversations like, Oh, that ouch, that hurt, or I'm so sorry about what I said. Being real and authentic is most important to me now, instead of running and hiding and not sitting in those emotions. So I, I feel like I have better relationships with everyone (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um, and since I'm not, you know, running for a beer and thinking, oh, I've got to get away from that conversation. It was so <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> so really hyper-focused on good relationships. And then I really have a great, I'm always talking about, I really need a good writing routine. I have such a good writing routine now, even if it's just for five or 10 minutes, I know exactly when, where, and what I'm going to be doing. Um, There's no muddling around with it. That has just become really clear to me that it's that important to me. Mm, Yeah. Just like you used to have a date with the wine at five, like it's like, okay, (laughs) so when and where do you like to write? So I like to write in my bedroom where it's super quiet and I can close the door and get away from two little barking shih tzus. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And my husband that likes to, when he's working remotely, likes to walk through the house on his phone. (laughs) And I found that I need to do it first thing in the morning before I get distracted. And I do generative writing. So I lean on prompts to get myself going. 
And then once I review all my generative writing, I find one item that really sparks my passion or interest or heart. And then I just go down that road. And I know you, you are aware that my father was a watercolor artist and I'm trying to capture what that meant to him and me. And I think I finally um, nailed that (laughs) this Mm -hmm. week. So good for you. So our hope, you and I, is that this conversation will maybe just be a little seed, like a thought-provoking seed for anyone to just be a bit sober curious or just be curious in general around their habits, right? So for example, like I mentioned to you that I'm kind of like the kind of person who will have um, you know, a drink two to three times a month. And so I knew we were having this interview today and I'm grappling with some deep worry about something. And I had expressed it to my husband earlier and we haven't had a date night in ages. And he texted me today and he said, how about happy hour at our, and it's a favorite spot that we have because the food is cheap, which where we live, that's not the case. So it's like, it's good eats, good environment, and they have a a great martini. And I texted him back because we have this interview. I said, how about a walk on the beach instead? You know, and it was because I feel like I wouldn't have really thought as deeply about it if we didn't have this interview scheduled and it wasn't more on my mind. And I think that's helpful to, especially for people who they think like, okay, well, it isn't impeding my life, you know, like, and it's not something that feels like heavy every day. But when I started thinking about why I wanted to do any kind of like date night, it's wanting to kind of numb the pain of that worry. And it's like, you know what, a walk on the beach would do just as much, if not more than that lovely martini. (laughs) It's the choice. Yes. So thank you for even inspiring me to think more deeply about something that's already been on my mind a little bit. I love that Cheryl Strayed a few months ago was talking about this subject and she was like, you know what, I want to think about drinking the way I think about birthday cake. Like I don't have birthday cake every night. I have birthday cake occasionally, very rarely when it's somebody's birthday. That's about how often I want to have a drink. And so that's her like goal. So there is a a spectrum around this. And our hope, I think, is that it'll just get people thinking and maybe assessing behaviors. So Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Maria, for coming on and tell people where they can find you if they want to know more about you. So I just had my website, my author website revamped. Uh, MariaWarner.com is the best place to go to see where my, see, learn about my publications and my book and just even a little bit more about me. Thank you, Nadine. Oh, I loved talking to Maria. I really had some moments of deep contemplation as a result of this conversation. And my hope is that you have too, that you are sitting or standing or driving wherever and going, huh, 
Why do I do what I do? What has become ingrained? What am I doing without thought? What do I want to change? What's triggering me? What void or pain am I trying to numb or avoid? And what might fill that hole better than what I'm currently reaching for? If you found any part of this conversation helpful, my hope is that you'll share it with a friend, send it over to them. Let Maria and I know on Instagram. You can tag us at Nadine Kenny Johnstone and Maria Warner 3. And I really hope that it will be something that creates some lifelong change for you. Michelle Rado, thank you so much for everything you do for this show. You have changed the life of this podcast in my life too. And remember everyone, every heart has a story and every story has a heart. See you next week.